We're in um, a series of Lord's Supper messages titled The Sevenfold Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in the first message, we looked at the places in the book of Revelation where the phrase, the seven spirits of God is recorded. And there's three or four places in the book of Revelation. It says, and before the throne were seven spirits of God. And we talked about that is certainly not that there are seven Holy Spirits. Therefore, the, the Godhead is nine members. Although a popular radio preacher went in that direction one time till he was yanked back into his right senses. Um, but it, did, it, it is almost certainly taken from Isaiah 11 and verse 2, where the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power, Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And in the most recent message in this series, I shared with you in the context of Isaiah 11 that this is not a self-description of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Spirit of God did not inspire that because it was about Him, but it's actually a description of the presence and power of God's Spirit in the earthly ministry and kingdom age of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focus of the Spirit's ministry. And in fact, we know that elsewhere in places such as John 15 and verse 26, where it says, But the Comforter is come, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And in John 16, verses 13 through 15, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he, uh, he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. And so, having promised the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9, Isaiah here presents Messiah and mostly, specifically, as it pertains to his kingdom work. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to read the first couple of verses. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And then the rest of the chapter, at least through verse 10, it goes on to describe uh, what is going to be taking place during the ministry of this one who is a rod out of Jesse, a branch out of his roots, upon whom the Spirit of God will rest and will work through him. First of all, 
Let me give you a review of the context that we've uh, looked at, but it's been two or three months ago or so. Isaiah had just said that Assyria, and Assyria is the focal point uh, of, as far as world empires at this point in the writing of Isaiah. He had just said in chapter 10, if you look at verse 34, <clears throat> and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. Talking about how the Lord is going to cut down Assyria, just like the trees in a forest, referencing the cedars of Lebanon. Now, why did he reference that? Well, literally, um, it mentions this, and it mentions Lebanon a number of times, and these trees are described in the Word of God as strong and durable in Isaiah 9 and verse 10, as beautiful and huge in uh, Psalm 80 and verse 10, and as fragrant in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 11. And in my study of this, uh, uh, this has been a, 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 few, a few months ago, I discovered that cedar trees in the United States are fairly fast-growing, and they can live up to about 300 years. That would be about the max, and that would be quite a, quite a specimen to have a 300-year-old American cedar tree, but not so in Lebanon, especially in Bible days in Lebanon, for they are slow-growing, and they can easily live uh, a millennia, a thousand years. And there's even a picture, and I think I showed you a couple, three months ago, of a, a particular uh, Lebanese, uh, Lebanon uh, cedar tree that was estimated to be 3,000 years old. In other words, at about the time that Isaiah was writing, give or take a couple of hundred years, that cedar tree was a sapling and just starting to grow. That's how long they can grow. And those cedar trees, um, once, the, once they're cut down, they never put out no, no, new shoots. They never bud again or any th such thing, now, even if they're just cut down with the stump left. Um, so too, when the mega power of Assyria falls, it will fall. If you've checked history, you will find that that prophecy was fulfilled exactly as God had given it. Amen? And yet, even though there's no more Hittites or Amorites or Amalekites or, or Canaanites or, or, or Jebusites or Hivites uh, or, or Syrians, or, all of those people groups have come and gone as Scripture says that they would. Yet, there are still Israelites, and in fact, they're going back to the land in preparation for Messiah who will return and rule and reign one day. And so don't miss the imagery here. What it's saying here is just as God is able to knock down a forest of mighty cedar trees, i.e. Assyria, so too he can cause a single shoot to come up from a dead stump, verse 1 of this text, and, uh, and grow and in fact be fruitful. I like what theologian Albert Barnes summarized this point. He said, between the Assyrian, therefore, and the person who is the subject of this chapter, namely Christ, there is a most striking and beautiful contrast. The one was at first magnificent, like a vast spreading forest, yet should soon fall and decay. The other was the little sprout of a, of a decayed tree, yea, a stump, should, which should yet rise, expand and flourish. And so that is the context, again, for this series. And now we see in the first part of verse 1, the first description of the Spirit's present presence. In verse 1, the prophet pictured that life that would come from a dead tree stump. And notice also in verse 1, and this is key, the reference is to Jesse. 
A stem would come out of Jesse. A branch should grow out of his roots. It doesn't say David. It doesn't use that reference. It doesn't say David. It doesn't say Solomon, although all of them were in the lineage of Christ. Now, why is that the case? Because David and Solomon would very well uh, likely represent power and, uh, and um, pomp and circumstance, as it were, being the kings. But Jesse is just uh, a nobody from Bethlehem who's uh, had a bunch of boys and they were all uh, worked uh, out in the field uh, taking care of the sheep and all until they were called off to war. In other words, an insignificant family would be the ones who would sprout ultimately this rod who would cause this branch to grow out of its roots. It seems like God was saying, I can bring not only something out of nothing, I can bring that which is infinite out of that which is nothing. And by the way, if you've checked your life, and in fact, if you are saved, you were saved um, while in sin. That is, he called you while you were still dead in trespasses and sins and has made you into a glorious uh, uh, picture of the amazing grace of God. And aren't you grateful? Amen? And so the same is true by way of illustration with this. And so from the top of the stump, a shoot would grow, which was necessary. Following that imagery of photosynthesis, you had to have that to take in, uh, take in that kind of nourishment. And the root buried in the ground, a branch would emerge. And, um, and it would be the one who would go on and do what the rest of chapter 11 describes. This first description is really more fully uh, prophetically stated in chapter 61. Now, if you look at Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord, here's the first description, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, look at chapter 61 of Isaiah, if you would, please. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto those who mourn in Zion, to give unto, that is, uh, to, to minister to them, to come alongside those who mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might, might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now notice the first phrase in verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Yahweh is upon me. How do we know that Isaiah, about, uh, about whom he's, he is prophesying? Who is he addressing here? Who is he speaking prophetically of and in fact uh, he is speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus, for we know that in Luke chapter 4, verse, and I don't have you do a lot of chasing around in Scripture because I preach verse by verse through Bible books and, and typically don't do that. But in this series, a couple of different places we need to consider. Look at Luke, if you would, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Luke four, sixteen, And he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he went on to describe it. And they wanted to kill him because they knew he was saying that he was Messiah based on the prophecy of the book of Isaiah. He grew up there. Everyone knew him. And they wanted to kill him for what he had said. Now, folks, and those who by way of Internet are listening or watching, uh, it's been said that when Jesus spoke in this kind of way, he was one of three things. He was either lying. He was either a liar. He was a lunatic. That is, he was out of his mind and didn't know what he was saying. Or he is Lord. It's one of the three. It it cannot be some combination. Well, he didn't know what he was saying. He was just crazy. He was out of his mind. He was mistaken. Well, if all of that is the case, then he is not worthy of being followed. You cannot say, well, he's a good moral teacher because if he taught these things knowing they were wrong, then he's a liar. If he taught these things and and he's completely out of his mind, then he's not worthy of following. But if, in fact, in saying these things, they are actually true and they are actually fulfilled prophecy, which we believe here, then he is Lord and we're to follow him. There's no middle ground to just simply say, well, he was a good example and we ought to take some cues in our lives from him. No, the religious leaders knew what he was saying and they were out to kill him. The prophecy then is that Christ would be directed by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me this day. That is being fulfilled right before your eyes. They were crystal clear what he meant by that. Commentator John Oswald wrote, thus to say that God's Spirit was upon someone became almost a code phrase for saying that the person, person was acting out of a capacity which was more than merely human. This phrase came to be applied supremely to capacity for ethical behavior. In other words, he lived, he manifested righteousness, of course being God, but in his humanity, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Very recently, I think maybe even this past Tuesday or the time before that, the Tuesday morning before that, uh, meet for an early morning Tuesday men's prayer meeting, 7 a.m. every Tuesday morning over in the youth building. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but um, we started discussing this very issue in specific detail about Jesus being led of the Spirit of God. Bible believers, including me and preachers uh, throughout time, and maybe even emphasizing to a great degree in our day, we emphasize the deity of Christ. We talk about Christ, the Lord Jesus, is God in the flesh. And in fact, we ought to emphasize that because cults uh, basically uh, are entirely wrong on this very issue, the deity of Christ. So it's good to emphasize that. However, we have not emphasized, and I mean me when I say we, have not emphasized nearly enough and have been a bit remiss of emphasizing the humanity of Christ. For Jesus is God and he is man. Amen? He's God-man. And both need to be emphasized. Both need to be given just their just due. And so 
to be sure, that has come up a number of times while preaching through the book of Hebrews as Christ is our great high priest, and that speaks about his humanity, and he was in, he was in the... Um, in the order after Melchizedek, who was a man, and you had to be a man in order to be a, a high priest. It could not be an angel. So we talked about that to some degree. But scripture says in Luke 2:52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in favor with God and man. How does God increase in wisdom and favor with anyone? And it goes on to say that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so I, I uh, took the liberty and, um, and really even the audacity <laughs> to ask Brother Dan Penimona, who, who has a good handle on this subject, uh, to develop a, a message. I want to hear a message on and really exploring and really expanding and, and uh, bringing a full uh, treatment uh, of that very issue. What is it meant? What is meant by the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to the degree that he increased in wisdom and favor with God and man, that he learned, he actually, does that mean he didn't know? And if that's the case, then how can God not know? Do you all appreciate the, the, uh, the seeming um, uh, incongruity of that? And, uh, and so, Dan, uh, God bless you. Uh, get on that, would you? <laughs> and he's going to bring a, a, a full-length message on that uh, uh, coming up. When you've been in a place as long as I have, uh, you can just, you know, kind of say, folks, I'm not good on this. I'm not great on this subject, but I know one who is, and so let's hear from him. Uh, and so he's going to be bringing that uh, uh, sometime in the future. <clears throat> um, to say that God's Spirit was upon someone was the personification of righteous behavior. And in fact, that is what we see in Christ. It's who he is. It's who he was in his earthly ministry. Jeremiah speaks about that in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, a different prophet at a different time, writing again of this righteous branch, the spirit of the Lord being upon him. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth in his days, in the days of that king. Judah, shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness and so folks this one that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 11 and then again in chapter 61 that Jesus said is being fulfilled in his life this is the Lord our righteousness this is the one the spirit of the Lord settled upon Israel's Messiah in the kingdom age. But you know, he's not only Israel's Messiah in the kingdom age, but Romans 1.16 says, yes, the gospel went to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles for those who have turned to him. And in fact, in our text in Isaiah 11 and verse 10, you'll notice later in that chapter, it says, and in that day, that is in the day when he's coming as Messiah for Judah for Israel in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand for an instant a banner of the people to seek him to him shall the nations seek the Gentiles and his rest shall be glorious Christ will visibly and physically rule and reign one day upon the earth the issue is is he ruling and reigning in your heart today 
you know, the Lord's Supper <clears throat> reminds us of his work on the cross, what he did to pay the penalty for sinners, for those who will turn to him. And so if you have in fact received him, if Christ is in your heart, if he's truly Lord of your life, oh, not that you know about him, not that you've heard about him, but truly he is the Lord of your life, then you can receive the elements of the table. You can receive the bread remembering that he offered himself to pay uh, for sin as atonement, as a sacrifice. His blood was shed so that we may be washed clean. When you receive the elements, thank him, worship him, um, uh, commit in a fresh and a new way to obey him, to revere him all your days. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he is the Lord of righteousness. Heavenly Father.